will be many places this morning, but our primary text, what launches our discussion, is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. This is what God's Word says to us today. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, as we sing of the cross, as we sing of the power of the gospel to spread to the nations, as we sing of your throne, as we sing of the power of Jesus' name, as we sing of the foundation of the church being the Lord Jesus and his grace, we realize we need to understand how we are forgiven that we might model the love of Christ in how we forgive others. Would you, God, work in us, opening our minds, opening our hearts to your word, making us eager to receive from your word truth that will help us to live to your glory. I pray that in Christ's holy name. Amen. And you may be seated. Christians are a forgiven people. Christians are to be a forgiving people. But understanding that concept and putting it into practice is not nearly as easy as some would suggest. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he spelled out to us the glories of what it means to be forgiven by Jesus Christ. For three chapters we saw glorious gospel focus. And Paul has begun in chapter 4 to call us to live lives worthy of the calling to which we have been called. We, We obey. We obey not to be forgiven, but we obey because we have been forgiven. And last week we began to look at the topic of forgiveness as we read in chapter 4, verse 32. We are to be a forgiving people. We are to forgive others as we have been forgiven in Christ. And understanding how God forgave us in Jesus is pivotal to our understanding of how we are to practice biblical forgiveness. I referred you last week to a book called Unpacking Forgiveness by Chris Brauns, B-R-A-U-N-S, where you want to write that one down. It is my favorite single book on the topic of forgiveness. And the author in the book, I believe, does a solid job of taking us through a biblical model of forgiveness, a model that is very much different than that proposed by many pastors and by many modern therapists. Let me remind you of how we thought about God's forgiveness from Braun's, his definition of forgiveness. He says that God's forgiveness is a commitment by the one true God to pardon graciously those who repent and believe so that they are reconciled to him, although this commitment does not eliminate all consequences. Does that sound familiar to you? Let me look it up on page 51 of Chris Brown's book, Unpacking Forgiveness. God is the source of our forgiveness. Our forgiveness comes from God's commitment to pardon those who repent and believe. God's forgiveness is not, is not unconditional. 
in that God requires faith and repentance for forgiveness. The act of pardon from God begins in us the process of reconciliation, of building a renewed relationship with God. But the process of forgiveness does not remove all earthly consequences of our sinful behavior. And as we closed the message last week, we took the picture of God's forgiveness and we applied it briefly to the topic of interpersonal forgiveness. Again, reading from bronze, and this is what we're going to work from today in some level. Forgiveness, a commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person, although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated. As God forgave us, we forgive. We forgive from commitment, a set, willing disposition to forgive. We forgive the repentant. Our forgiveness is not unconditional. We forgive toward reconciliation. Forgiveness affects our relationships with others. Our forgiveness may not necessarily remove all consequences from the person we forgive. If all that sounds strange to you, and truly, if you have been a Christian in most churches across the land over the past several decades, this will sound strange to you. If all this sounds strange to you, I would first recommend, you know, maybe you go back and listen to last week's message, it's online. There we began to discuss this stuff, or perhaps even more helpful, pick up the book Unpacking Forgiveness and see if you can start spelling this out, because he spells it out to us in much greater detail. Now, this morning I want us to take one last look at the topic of forgiveness from the interpersonal angle, and I want us to think a little more clearly about what it means to forgive from commitment, contingent on repentance, toward reconciliation, while not ignoring consequences. And I'm hoping that we will all understand what is expected of us and what is not expected of us. I want us to understand there are going to be times when we will desire to forgive, but when we cannot biblically complete the transaction of forgiveness. I want us to see how different is the biblical model from a worldly model of forgiveness. And I want to answer a few of the most obvious objections that will come to your mind when you hear this model of forgiveness taught. So my plan is that we'll look at those four key categories that we've seen in the definition of forgiveness, and hopefully they will lay for us the groundwork that we need to navigate the issue of forgiveness faithfully. So do you feel ready to do this? All right. Point number one is going to be develop a disposition of forgiveness. That's the forgiving from commitment. Develop a disposition of forgiveness. In order for you to forgive as the Lord forgave you, you must begin with a heart set toward forgiveness. You must be committed to forgiving all of those you biblically can forgive. So let's go to the gospel according to Matthew 
for a few examples of passages that will help us here. Matthew chapter 6 is where I'd like to ask you to turn first, if that's okay. Matthew 6. We're going to look at Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, which are the two verses that immediately follow the model prayer. And they may be verses that are raising in your mind some objections to the way that I'm teaching you about forgiveness. So we will address them, okay? Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses trespasses well that's a bit frightening isn't it and it is a very helpful passage if we understand it rightly the savior tells his followers that those who will not forgive demonstrate that they do not have hearts changed by god is that bold enough for you a person who claims Christ, but who refuses to be a forgiving person is a person with a fundamental problem. Jesus says that an unwillingness to be a forgiving person is a sign of being a lost person. But wait, didn't I tell you that there are situations in which you cannot biblically forgive or complete the transaction of forgiveness? Yes, I certainly did. And we will address that in our next point, so don't get too lost here. What I want you to see for now first is that a heart unwilling to forgive is a heart in danger. Will you accept that as biblical truth? Then let's move on. Turn further into the gospel to Matthew 18. And here we will see Jesus preach on forgiveness and show us the disposition toward being forgiven, forgiving. Matthew 18, 21 to 22, which immediately follows the church discipline passage, by the way. Matthew 18, 21 to 22. Have you found it? Okay. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. You might have 70 times seven, by the way, depending on your translation. Peter is feeling magnanimous in this passage. You gotta love Peter, don't you? Just so bold to say the stuff that he just knows Jesus wants to hear. And Peter comes up to Jesus, has a question about being a forgiving person, and Peter assumes he's going to make a good showing before the Savior if he agrees. Maybe I should forgive somebody up to seven times even. He probably thought Jesus thought three would be good. But Jesus responds by telling us that our forgiving attitude should basically be endless. Then Jesus illustrates. Look at 23 and following. 
Jesus says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Y'all, I want you to think national debt level debt here. You could not earn, rack this debt up in your lifetime. 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Can you imagine if you owed a billion gazillion dollars looking at somebody saying, I'll pay you back, I promise. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Three months wages, give or take. Three and a half months, maybe. Not, not quite. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So here Jesus illustrates what we need to know. The wicked servant is forgiven a great debt by the king. But then the wicked servant will not forgive his friend who pleads with him for mercy. And when the king gets wind of what happened, he punishes the unforgiving servant. Notice the reasoning that's in the passage, and it'll help you with your motivation to have a forgiving heart. The servant was forgiven a great deal, a seemingly endless debt. How could one so forgiven not be eager to forgive another person a significantly smaller debt? Here's the Christian point of application. Christians, God has forgiven all who come to Jesus an infinite debt. God is infinite in his perfections, amen? My falling short of God's standard places me infinitely below him. That God would forgive me that wrong is God letting go of an infinitely great offense. No person, no human being can sin against me to an infinite degree because I'm not infinitely perfect. 
People can sin against me in big ways. People can sin against me in small ways. But no person can sin against me to the degree, to the level, to the extent that I have sinned against God. Therefore, any sin that I have to forgive is infinitely smaller than is my sin against God. Does that make sense to you? No one can sin against you infinitely, though you sinned infinitely against an infinitely holy God. Jesus is saying to us, here in Matthew 18, clarifying what he said in Matthew 6, that we who have been forgiven a great deal should have a disposition to be eager to forgive other people. So Christian, Christian, when somebody sins against you, think first on a vertical axis, an up and down axis. Think of you before God. And realize that God has forgiven you an infinite debt. And let that forgiveness call you to say to the Lord that you know you have been forgiven more than anyone would ever ask you to forgive. Let it lead you to, before God, acknowledge that you are not better than other sinners. Let it lead you to have a heart that's willing to forgive as quickly as forgiveness can be righteously transacted. Let God's forgiveness of your sin give you a disposition and eagerness to forgive others. But... And this is our next point. This does not mean that your forgiveness is automatic or unilateral just with you. Point number two, forgive the repentant. Forgive the repentant. Again, remember the call of our text from, text from Ephesians. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We forgive as the Lord forgave us. And this is important. God did not forgive us unconditionally. God did not, did not I can't speak. God did not forgive us as a private, unilateral action. God forgave us when we repented and believed. Just ask yourself, Christians, would you call a person saved and forgiven by God who said to you they do not believe in Jesus, they do not desire Jesus, they do not have any intention of turning from their sin, and they do not have any willingness to obey the Lord? Would you call that person saved? No. What instead would you say to that person? You would extend to that person the offer of God's forgiveness. But the offer you extend is contingent on that person repenting of their sin and fully trusting in Jesus as their Savior. 
If we know that God's forgiveness of our sin is contingent on a prerequisite on our faith and repentance, why would we assume that to forgive as the Lord forgave us would not require the repentance of the one we forgive? One of the greatest perversions of forgiveness teaching, and it's prominent, happens when Christians ignore the fact that repentance is necessary for forgiveness to be completed. I want to illustrate this to you, and this is a very true, painful story. Years ago, I remember speaking with a pastor about the topic of forgiveness, and he very proudly told me a story of a young lady in his congregation who had been abused by an uncle. He was a man who never admitted what he had done to this young lady in any form. And the pastor told the young lady that she, for her own good, had to forgive her uncle, regardless of whether he ever admitted his sin, regardless of whether he ever apologized. So the pastor drove the young lady to her uncle's workplace where he had her walk in, go up to her uncle, and say to him, I just want you to know I forgive you for what you did to me. The man acknowledged nothing, apologized for nothing, and went about his daily business. That story, friends, is not a biblical picture of forgiveness. And that story will be told over and over and over and over again. How many times have you seen a Christian post a tear-jerking blog post about the person who stood in a courtroom looking at the smug perpetrator of a crime and saying, I just want you to know I forgive you, even when that person feels no remorse whatsoever for the crime they committed. That is not biblical forgiveness. In fact, stories like that speak something highly false about biblical forgiveness. As I said in our first point, we should be always willing to extend the possibility of forgiveness. But we say something that is false about Jesus Christ and about the gospel if we declare an unrepentant person to be forgiven. Jesus did not forgive us that way. Neither did God ever model that kind of forgiveness in Scripture. Think about it. When David killed Goliath, David did not shout across the field of battle, I just want you to know, Mr. Giant, I forgive you. What did he do? He took his head off. When Jesus forgave Zacchaeus, when did Jesus forgive Zacchaeus? It was when Zacchaeus believed in Jesus, expressed repentance, turned from his sin, right? When the Philippian jailer says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't say to the Philippian jailer, hey, buddy, you're already saved. Paul told him he had to first believe and then he would be saved. Now, this might raise some questions for you. Let me try to answer some. First, I am arguing that we must have a set disposition and desire toward forgiveness. That was point one, yes? And I believe that is exactly what Jesus was aiming at when he told us that if we will not forgive others, we are not forgiven. But even when we have a desire to forgive, 
We cannot biblically complete the process of forgiveness without some level of repentance on the part of the one who committed the wrong. Some people would say that requiring repentance of another person might place you in a a situation that is bad for your mental health. They would suggest to you that forgiving others is better for you as an individual. So regardless of what other people do, you can forgive them for your own well-being. Have you, have you ever heard that taught before? Yeah, that's false. We are beholden to Scripture for what we do, yes? We're not beholden to psychological counsel for what we do. And Scripture never presents us with unilateral, internal, private forgiveness. Never. What the counselors do have right is that we need to let go of the bitterness that often builds up in the hearts of those who are not forgiving. But that bitterness is leached from us not in completing the, for, the transaction of forgiveness, not in declaring an unrepentant, unrepentant person forgiven. The bitterness is leached from us when we have a willing disposition to forgive. When we remember our sin before the Lord, when we declare ourselves eager to forgive another person when they repent, that then we begin to let go of the bitterness that we feel toward them. Perhaps the biggest objection here, by the way, is the question of whether or not Jesus forgave unrepentant people. How many of you, as we've thought about this, have thought about the words of Christ from the cross? Because in Luke 23, 34, we read Jesus says, Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Is that not, you foolish pastor, is that not Jesus unilaterally forgiving unrepentant people? Actually, no, it's not. Y'all know what it looks like when Jesus says to someone their sin is forgiven, right? You know what he says? Your sins are forgiven! Jesus, from the cross, prayed that the Father would forgive these people. Jesus did not declare them to be forgiven. I would argue that Jesus was expressing a set disposition toward being forgiving. Jesus is asking the Father, what's he asking God to do for these men? Save their rotten, tormented souls. Jesus is saying, please, Father, bring them to saving faith. Jesus is not saying they are simply automatically, unilaterally forgiven. Later in the same passage, hanging on the same cross, Jesus has two two thieves near him, right? One thief was forgiven, one thief is not. Which thief was forgiven? It's the one who repented of his sin and asked Jesus for grace. The other thief who mocked Jesus that same day goes unforgiven to his grave. Jesus did not grant automatic forgiveness. Jesus had a disposition toward and a commitment to forgive the repentant. Notice how Luke records Jesus telling us, remember the how many times do I forgive a person passage? In Luke 17, verses 3 and 4, Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, 
rebuke him. We're we're good with that part, right? And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You forgive how? Not automatically, but as often as the person declares their repentance, you forgive. And do take note that there is no place here for you to be judging their repentance. Jesus does not say, forgive them if you really think they meant it this time. He doesn't say, forgive them if, they, if you get your pound of flesh out of them first. We are going to need to learn to take one another at our words here. We should be eager to believe the best, even when repentance feels just imperfect to us. By the way, do you expect that people who sin against you will repent perfectly? When's the last time you repented perfectly? Keep that in mind. Now let's go on. We're going to look at the final two points in our definition of forgiveness, and then we'll try to answer a few more practical questions and wrap up. So point number three, forgive and seek reconciliation. What happened when God forgave you? He freed you from the just penalty for your sin by bearing that burden himself. Isn't that good? He did that through the sacrifice of God's own son, The Lord released you from the responsibility to pay the price for your sin. Isn't that good? And when God forgave you, he welcomed you to himself as his very own adopted child. God established a new relationship with you when he forgave you. In John 1.12, John says, says about Jesus, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When we forgive others, we do something similar. First, the one who forgives bears the burden. Isn't that true? The one who forgives pays the personal cost of forgiving the repentant person. If I hurt you, you feel the personal right to hurt me back. When you forgive me, you willingly forego your perceived right to punish me. You don't make me pay the cost of emotionally hurting you. Instead, you bear that burden as you release me. And, When you forgive me, you make a commitment to me. You commit yourself not to bring up my offense to me, against me, to do me harm. You ever have somebody forgive you and then throw it back in your face? That's not forgiveness. You commit yourself not to bring up my offense to other people to do me harm. You commit yourself not to allow yourself to bring up my offense to yourself to mull it over and stew on it against me. You willingly give me a gift of grace 
releasing me from the debt that I owe you for the offense that I gave you. Now, I'm not pretending that you should pretend to have forgotten the sin. How many of you have heard forgive and forget? That's not biblical either. Unless you understand that by forget means a willing choice not to remember a sin against somebody so as to hurt them. Does God forget our sins? Yes and no. Is God omniscient? Does God know all things? Do you think, therefore, that the Lord is in heaven looking at a young woman who had a baby out of wedlock who he forgave and is scratching his head going, I do not know where that child came from. Is that what God's doing? He's just not remembering her sin against her so as to hurt her with it, to punish her for it because he punished Jesus for it. That's the point. Understand? Now, I'm not going to say that you should ever pretend that you've forgotten my sin against you. That might, in fact, be the least loving thing you could do. Because if you see me starting to behave in the way where I sinned before, it would be loving of you to remind me of the fact that I have failed in that area before and that I've repented. It's loving of you to guard me against the sin that I commit, right? If you see me failing in a way that might hurt somebody else the way that I hurt you, you need to warn me or you need to warn them against what you see in me out of grace, not to hurt. The point is you don't gossip about me. You don't use my previous sin, the sin that you forgave, as a way for you to hurt me. You don't use my sin as a thing to hold over my head to make me keep paying and paying and paying debt. You release it. And forgiveness does lead to reconciliation. That's the other thing. If you sin against me and I forgive you, I work to see that we have as much of a restored relationship as I can. After all, when God forgave us, he forgave us into relationship with himself. So if I claim to forgive you an offense, but then I refuse to speak to you as a human being, there's a problem with what I'm claiming is forgiveness. Now, we live in a fallen world, yes? That reconciliation that you have with others will not likely be as deep as the reconciliation God gave you because you're a sinner and they're sinners and you live in a fallen world. There are certain lasting sins and deep wounds that may take much more work to finish forgiving. And after those things, forgiveness may not bring about obvious deep reconciliation. If a person breaks into your home and beats you up and takes your stuff, you might indeed be able to forgive them when they express sorrow, yes? Reconciliation here is that you release the person from your desire to hurt them back for hurting you. You might be able to communicate to this person that you forgive them. You might be able to communicate to this person that you're not holding their sin against them. You might be able to communicate to this person that you desire God's best for them. You might even be able to accept that this person has really changed. But that does not assume that you give them a house key and tell them to come by and hang out whenever they want. Let's remember the final category of thinking here, and it'll boil, bring this together. Fourth point. Forgiving may not remove all earthly consequences. 
Forgiving may not remove all earthly consequences. Now, if you and I were perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, we might be able to forgive in a way that leads to absolute, perfect, complete reconciliation immediately. But we're not yet that perfect in practice. We have emotions, yes? We have powerful memories, yes? And sometimes we can't control the consequences that people will face because they sin against us. In relating to God, we know forgiveness does not remove all earthly consequences from us. Last week, I illustrated, remember, with a man who drives drunk, he crashes, hurts people, and in the accident, he loses his arm. That man can be forgiven. If we assume for the story here, the man comes to Jesus and is saved by Jesus. He is forgiven. But that man is not going to regrow his arm just because he's been forgiven. He will live with a reminder of his loss of his sin for the rest of his life. And only when Christ returns and gives us new resurrection bodies will that man get two arms again. Similarly, in our relationships one to another, there may be consequences that forgiveness does not eliminate. If a person commits a crime against you, you may very well forgive them when they express repentance, but that person may face jail time for breaking the law. A person who steals from the local church may be forgiven by everyone in the church, but he is not likely to be allowed to be the treasurer anytime soon. A pastor who cheats on his wife may indeed be forgiven by his wife and by his church, but that does not mean that he is not also disqualified from pulpit ministry. In certain cases where the sin is big, where the pain's real, Forgiveness may happen even if the one who forgives does not ever give the offender access to their person again. I would not suggest that a single woman who has been attacked or abused by a man should ever put herself in a position to be hurt by that person again. Perhaps, perhaps she might choose to have a conversation with that person in a supervised setting. Maybe not. Perhaps she might only ever be able to communicate to that person through a letter or, or through a go-between if they're expressing repentance. But it's possible she may never be able to get over the concept of not feeling safe around that person. The consequence of her of sin is not that she's holding on to hate. It's not that she's trying to harm the person who hurt her. But the consequence may be that while she forgives her attacker when he expresses repentance, she may still testify against him in a court of law and never see him again. One evidence that a person has been genuinely repentant of their sin against another person is their willingness to accept reasonable and just consequences for what they've done. A person who abuses another person should accept that the natural consequence of, of their sin may be that they are punished by a court of law. And, and it may be that that person has to be loving enough toward the person that they hurt never to try to push upon that person a presence which is hurtful or which stirs up painful memories. That kind of consideration is a mark of genuine repentance. 
Folks, the final reconciliation between believers who have hurt one another is the reconciliation that will come when Jesus Christ returns. Because then, in a new heavens and a new earth, in resurrection bodies, with the curse of sin removed, then we can be fully reconciled to one another as genuine, loving family in Christ. And while we will do all we can do to reconcile as best we can in the here and now, we must understand that some sins will carry with them consequences until the Lord perfects the world. So Christians... Here's where it all starts coming together. If you have been hurt by other people in a deep way, you need to work with your church elders to see what forgiveness or at least approaching forgiveness would look like. We're here for you for that, guys. Let me say one other thing before we wrap up. The process of forgiveness can feel quite formal the way I've laid it out. You offer the gift of forgiveness. You tell the person that you want to forgive them if they will repent. You grant pardon and restored relationship when they repent. But y'all, sometimes things that you think are sins are actually very small. Can I remind you, kind of like we talked about in Sunday school, that there are some small things that you can, out of love, just choose to overlook? Perhaps you feel slighted by that friend of yours who goes to a movie and doesn't invite you. You ever have that happen? This may not be a situation where you need to formally work through the forgiveness and reconciliation process. You can just decide to get over a thing. But, and hear me now, if you decide to let a slight go, let it go. Do not return to it over and over again. Forgiveness involves a commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person, although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated. Christian, when somebody sins against you, first think vertically between you and God. Realize you're not better. Realize you need a disposition toward forgiving. Pray that issue through and ask the Lord to help you forgive as you have been forgiven. Then think horizontally between you and them. Extend an offer of grace to the person who sinned against you. But be clear that forgiveness is not going to be made final. The transaction is not complete without repentance on behalf of the person who wronged you. When forgiveness is transacted, let go of the anger and the desire to get even. Pardon the offender. Do all that you can to realistically be reconciled. But Travis, what if the person won't repent? Then you can long that they would do so. Yes? But if they will not repent, they must understand that your relationship with them is hindered by that sin. Express your eagerness to them. I want to see that change. Never take revenge. Never seek to get even. Know that God has done justice and will always do justice. If the person who sinned against you and won't repent is a member of the church here with you, 
Come to the elders if you've talked to them and they won't respond to you. This is what the church discipline process is all about. We're here to help you through the issue and come to a biblical conclusion. What if the person who hurt you is dead? Then all you can do is the vertical. Before God, understand that the Lord has forgiven you greatly and know that God has done and will do perfect justice. Trust the Lord and leave the situation in God's hands. There's a lot more we could say here, friends, but we're already way at the end of our time. If you want to know more, pick up the book by Chris Bronze, Unpacking Forgiveness. Work through it. It helps. Let me say one more thing. If you don't know Jesus yet, I urge you to be forgiven by Jesus. God extends to you a gift of grace. It's a beautiful offer. He will forgive you. You must, however, own that you are a sinner. You must believe in Jesus, and you must turn from your sin to surrender to God's lordship. Repent and believe, and you will be forgiven by God, reconciled to God, granted eternal life. And when you're forgiven, you can begin to live to show others why the forgiveness of the Lord is so very wonderful. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this beautiful doctrine, and I confess this is super hard. I pray that you will help us to have a disposition of grace that we might model true biblical forgiveness. And I pray that all who hear this message would not be burdened with an extra weight that I'm producing. Let them be burdened by the weight of the scriptures and by the teaching of our Savior to be faithful to our Lord. God, we are hurt people who have hurt people. Help us to be people who are a gracious people, who seek, who find, who give forgiveness to your glory. That's our prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen.